Well, thank you guys for being a part of today's worship service. I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous. Y'all know what I'm nervous about? I'm nervous like I'm going to start looking out. I, I, do any of you guys remember the Brady Bunch back in the day? If you remember the Brady Bunch, wave at me real quick. You're old. You're old people. But if you remember the Brady Bunch, you remember that the advice was to look over their heads or to imagine everybody sitting there in their underwear. Do you remember? You guys remember that story from Peter Brady, I think it was? Anyway, I don't imagine that. I imagine you guys just normal. And I see some of your faces. I haven't seen some of your faces. And I almost like want to start preaching and then stop and go, man, it's good to see you. You know, so if I kind of do this a little bit with some of y'all, maybe you look a little different. Some of you are let your hair grow, your true uncut, you know, the uncut version because your barbershop ain't open. I get that. It is good to see you here though today. And uh, if I kind of glitch a little bit, it is because... I am just excited to see you. Some of your faces just bring such a smile to mine. All right. Well, here as we celebrate Easter Sunday, I just had a great video that I ran across. I wanted to share it with you just to remind you of exactly what we're celebrating. I thought it'd be a perfect way for us to kick off and get ourselves in the mindset of how important a day today is. So let's check this one out. It is called He is Risen. He is risen. Three small words that brought the collective pace of humanity to an absolute standstill. He is risen. Three words that shattered prisons. Words that shook the earth's foundations. Words that transformed a sense of utter despair into cries of pure joy and ecstasy. Echoes of history's greatest triumph that still shape our reality. Even today, we're assaulted by constant distraction, countless sources waging war for our attention, yet three words pierce the noise. In our hunger for validation, our desperate pleas for love and attention, three words calm our anxieties. In a universe spinning at breakneck speed, its inhabitants locked in an existential crisis, three words proclaim the purpose of our existence. He is risen. Lay hold of this truth and embrace the peace within. Yesterday, fear reigned in our hearts. Yesterday, we sat in crippling darkness. Yesterday, we suffered abuse and all the accusations of a broken world. But today, our King, our Healer, our Defender is risen. And this reality doesn't merely accompany us on a meaningless journey. This changes everything. For you see, if He is risen, then all other pursuits become secondary. All of our failures become insignificant. All criticisms and condemnations become irrelevant. There is only His word, His mission, and His infinite, unconditional love for you. Because He is risen, we look to tomorrow. Tomorrow we will stop defining our worth through status and social media. Tomorrow we will together build an everlasting kingdom. Tomorrow and every day after, we will dance in the radiance of a redeeming Savior who crushed death and set us free. 
There is nothing that Jesus cannot overcome. We know this because He lives. We know this because He is risen. Isn't that awesome? You know, back in the, uh, in the very beginning of Christianity, the way that they would also identify themselves, sometimes be, being a part of an underground church, they would say to one another, He is risen, and then the response would be, He is risen indeed. And so I want us to begin today by my leading saying he is risen and you guys respond with he is risen indeed. And I want to hear it from you guys and I want to hear, uh, if you are not able to be here, I want you guys to hear it at home from this crew as we say it from the top of our lungs. We are excited about celebrating Easter Sunday and he is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, awesome. It is good to celebrate today, uh, Easter Sunday, with you. I just read the passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 24, and we're continuing and actually concluding today as we talk about uh, the, the king claiming his crown. Now, if you followed along, if you've been a part of each and every week, and my goodness, why wouldn't you be? I mean, we're each and every week studying the God's Word and looking at it, how it applies to our life. So always be involved. Even if you can't be here in person, catch us and you can even go back and catch up. But we're concluding today's uh, services with the king claims his crown. It's Christ's path to the cross. And today we don't just study his path to the cross, but we study his victory over death that he suffered on that cross. Now, where have we been? We've been in our first week. We were there as we talked about what is truth when Jesus stood before Pilate. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? How is it even possible to know what truth is? And we know that Christ is the one who embodies truth. And then the second week, we shared with you guys about the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a picture that's going to be up here on the screen. You know that probably is something similar to what you have seen. We have seen the, 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 the serene look of Christ's face as he has the, the beam of light into heaven. Maybe you recognize that from some of the artwork. I had a grandmother who had this kind of artwork in her front room, and it's always kind of had a very special place in my my heart, but I know from the word of God that that was not a serene scene at all. It was where I believe the true crucifixion took place, and that is the crucifixion of Christ's will to do something different than what God wanted him to do. And then we talked also about Jesus and the trials that he had to go through as he stood before seven different people who chose to judge him or chose to let him go free. But eventually he was a person who was sentenced under Pilate to be crucified at the whim and at the, uh, you know, the urging of the chief priests and the Pharisees who had hated him all of his life. Well, we talked a little bit about all of these things, and then last week we talked about how Jesus came in on Palm Sunday and how he went and cleansed the temple so that all could be on equal footing together at his, at his cross. And today we're going to be talking, obviously, about the resurrection that happened and then his specific appearing in Luke chapter 24. Now, we've been talking about this quite a bit, and one of the things that we've always covered 
almost every single week as we cover what is called the Chalcedonian Creed. Now, there's not going to be a, a, a test on this, but I want to be very clear about this. The Chalcedonian Creed is something that they came up with and spoke about as they looked at and understood the things that they knew from the Scriptures. And they said the truth is, is that Jesus wasn't a 50% human and a 50% you know, divine individual. If ever there was a 200% individual, it was only one man, and that was Jesus. He was fully human and fully divine. And if you look back at the scriptures, you begin to see there's parts of the scriptures that clearly tell us that Jesus was human. Because, for example, if you read the scriptures, if you read in the passages about him on the cross, he says, I thirst. God doesn't thirst, but humans do. And so as Jesus is on the cross and says, I thirst, he's you know, conveying that he is a human undergoing this incredible time of suffering. He's tempted to avoid that suffering like we mentioned about in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's his human side that knows what he's about to face and is not interested in, as anyone would not be interested, you know, in going through a crucifixion. It's one of the most brutal and just dehumanizing ways to die. But we also know that as we read the passages of Scripture about who Jesus was, he knew people. He knew them even before meeting them. That was only something that you could do if you were divine. He worked miracles all throughout his ministry. Again, another sign of his divinity. And here's the important thing that we must know. If he is fully human and fully divine, he can embrace death for us so we don't have to. He can taste death. He can take the sin of all of mankind on his shoulders and say to God, this is the sacrifice that I offer, not because I am guilty, but because they are guilty, but I will take their punishment for them. And so because he is fully human and fully divine at the same time, he alone is able to die for the sins of all mankind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I've got a few passages of scripture that I've shared with you pretty frequently. It is verse 45, 47, and 49. It's on that next slide. As you look at it here, you can read along with me. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we also shall bear the image of the holy man uh, and the heavenly man, excuse me. And so it is so important that we grasp this and understand it. Now, here is something that we learned today about this passage of scripture that I just read with you just a moment ago. The appearance of Christ in Luke chapter 24 is called the road to Emmaus. It's one of at least four appearances that are detailed by Luke, who is the author of the book of Luke and the book, The Acts of the Apostles. If you didn't know this, those were originally one book. And so Luke tells four different times out of about 12 of the different appearances that Christ has. And so it's so important that we grasp and understand The Bible is not written so every single question will ever be, you know, that will ever be, will be answered. It is not a totality of everything that Christ did. It is just a snapshot of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And here, I love this because truth be told, the Bible tells us that there is 
two individuals. One is named Cleopas, who is not a very well-known individual, not a well-known disciple. And then the other person is basically nameless, a nameless individual that is walking along in this post-resurrection appearance. Now, this is why I love this. I know that Jesus is going to appear to Peter and James and John and all the biggies. You know what I mean? But he literally appears to somebody that you've probably never heard of before, somebody named Cleopas, and somebody who doesn't even get a name in Scripture. You could even call them he who shall not be named if you choose to do so. Do any of y'all get that? Or do any of y'all get that? All right, a handful of y'all get that. A few Harry Potter fans. Okay, it's not Lord Voldemort. I want you to know that. It's not. Here's the truth. We don't know the person's name. It's Cleopas and another disciple. But as Stephen Furtick writes in The Seven Mile Miracle, it's in a miracle that he shares over seven miles with Cleopas and another individual as an unnamed person. Who are these two people? It's very important that we grasp and understand. These are these two people. Let's go to this next slide here. Acts chapter 1 tells us there was only approximately 120 believers who followed Christ even after his death and his resurrection. That's before the, the, the sharing of the, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There were only about 120 believers, most of them unnamed. They were called disciples. They were called believers. The capital D disciples were the 11 that were left. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? But there were others, probably about 100 or 110 more, that we didn't know them by name. And these are the people that Jesus goes and he reveals himself to. Cleopas and his unnamed friend were clearly of this group of believers that we don't know. Now, here's this second something that I want you to learn today from this passage of Scripture. Jesus didn't simply appear to two or three people on a single emotion-filled day that we now call Easter. He appeared to at least 12 separate times to over 500-plus people over a 40-plus-day period of time. His followers then began exploding in numerical growth as he began to show himself to be Jesus who conquered death. You guys understand? And so here's what's really important for you and I to grasp. It wasn't just a really long night. It wasn't just all of the conditions just perfect. Over 40 days, over 500 believers and people who became believers. As a matter of fact, one of them was his brother James, who Jesus appeared to, who had no use for Jesus at all, but then saw him after the resurrection, changed his life, and from that day forward, he became one of his staunchest believers, one of his biggest and you know, most vocal supporters, and eventually he became a martyr. And the, for the man that he called his half-brother, for the man who he didn't even believe in until after he appeared when the resurrection had happened, this is what can change in your life and mine whenever we say, I am all about what Christ has done and the resurrection changes everything. And very quickly, I want to be very clear. Let's go to this next slide so you can check it out. What does Easter do? I know as a pastor, 
you know, we look forward to Easter. We, we, we look forward to doing things, uh, you know, kind of a big special celebration. We do an egg hunt. We do all of these different things. I mean, we've done petting zoos and, and all kinds of fun things just to celebrate and make it an extra special day. Um, here is what we know about Easter. Easter is not all of those things. It's beyond anything else. It is about celebrating the death, burial, resurrection, and the victory of Christ over death. And so if you share about those things, if you look into those things, you grasp what God is saying and what he's doing in people's lives. I want to talk about it real quickly. There's at least four things. Let's start off with these two. What does Easter do? Let's go back. He reconciles sinful humanity to a holy God. It takes sin and it conquers it. It leaves it in the dust. It leaves it nailed to the cross. It leaves it in the grave and leaves it behind. It takes your sin and my sin and eliminates it and says it can all be washed away because of what I've done on the cross. It also recognizes God's movement in all of human history. And this is really important. I want you to know it's not just simply like God showed up on one day and said, you know what? This is a great idea I've got. I think my son's going to just appear and how about he dies on a cross and then, yeah, yeah, wait, stay with me. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. It's not like he just put this plan together. This is the plan, according to the scriptures, that God put in motion. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It's all of human history. God has been talking about the time that would come where he eliminated every barrier between he and his people. And everything was restored. And so God has been telling us as we go along, as we move through human history, I've got a plan and here's what it's going to look like. I've got a plan and here's a little glimpse. I've got a plan and when you see this happen, know that I am on the move. It's not just something he threw together. It's something that he's had in motion since the beginning of mankind. Now, let me just ask this very quickly. Go to this next slide here. And just in Psalm chapter 22 alone, written by King David, approximately 1,000, maybe 980 to 1,000 B.C., David began to pin the different words, and he began to pin words that you will recognize. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he goes on in verse 16 and he writes in a prophetic word about what the Messiah is going to suffer. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, and they pierce my hands and my feet. 975 years before it happens, before even crucifixion was known in human history, David writes the words and telling us exactly and specifically how God's son would die for your sins and mine. Now, if that's just a coincidence to you, then I can't really tell you things that maybe would convince you. But to me, it's not a coincidence. It's God intervening in human history to tell us what he's going to do. And then centuries and centuries and centuries later, bringing it to pass. It is God intervening in all of human history 
So when Easter happens, it's his way of saying, I've been telling you, and now it's right here. And then talks about how they divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment in verse 18. And you know the story. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, there are people that are down there. They've seen his garment, they saw his robe, and they said, it's a single piece of cloth. This is, you know, something that's worth something. It's valuable. We're not just going to shred it up and take pieces. We're going to cast lots, and the winner gets to take home this poor guy's jacket. And that's exactly what happens, written by God's hand through his servant David 975 years earlier. This is God intervening in human history. And if you don't understand how important this is, let me just tell it to you like this. God has been telling you what he's going to do. And then he did what he said he would do. And then he said, now make this something that changes everything for you. If he intervened in human history, we have to look to him and say, God, let it be true in my life. Let it be true in my life. Let's go to this next thing that happens whenever we see what Easter does. It redeems our future, but also our past and our present. And then it gives us the promise of reunion with loved ones who have already died. If he has conquered sin in the grave, then we have the opportunity to say, those who I love who are no longer here, one day we will be reunited. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the best things about Easter. And I can't help but think about some of the people that I love that have gone on to heaven and one day I will get to be reunited with them. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but man, for, for this day, for me to remember those that I love are there in the presence of God and they're just waiting and eventually I'm going to see not only my Savior, but I'm going to see a lot of other people that mean a whole lot to me and I'm going to be reunited with them. What a day that's going to be, amen? Well, so let me ask you a question. Maybe you're a person who doesn't really necessarily believe in Easter. You're like, yeah, that's good. I mean, I get it, whatever. Easter's not really a big deal. I'm just not really into that kind of thing. All right, fine, that's fine. You can choose to live whatever choices and decisions that you want. But can I ask you a question? Like, what else you got? What else do you have? What do you have? Like, it's easy to say what you don't believe in, but tell me what you do believe in. Like, how do you feel good when you turn off the lights and you lay there and there's nothing going on but just silence and you know who you are on the inside? Like, what do you got that makes it okay? And, and, and if you're not into, like, Easter, what else is there that makes you okay with who you are when no one's around? How do you keep things that are going crazy in this world from making you go crazy? If there is no God that wins in your worldview, how does, how does 2020 hit you? I mean, like, how did that work for you if you don't got a God who says he's still at work? I, I don't know how you make it if you don't have God. I don't know how you lay there at night and deal with who you are if you don't have a God that says, 
I love you even though I know you and I will forgive you. I've already done it. Like that's what I need. So if you don't have that because Easter's just not your thing, then what else you got? Because I haven't found anything else that works. I haven't found anything else that makes any sense of this world and makes any kind of peace happen in my heart except for Easter. But here's the incredible thing. Easter makes everything start falling into place for me. And I would just encourage you, maybe this is not your thing. Maybe this is not something that is yours and yours alone. Maybe it's something that you've heard of from other people, but I'm here to tell you, man, make this yours because I don't know what else you got. I, I, how do you expect to deal with your shame, with your sinful past? How do you expect that any of that stuff matters in any way, shape, or form if you don't have a God who redeems it? If you don't have a God who redeems your soul and gives you a place in a home in heaven, how are you ever going to reconnect with those people who have passed? What's your plan for making that happen? What have you got? If you don't have Easter, what do you have? Because the only thing that works for me and the only thing that's ever made sense for me is Easter. That's why I say Easter is the most important day in human history. It answers all of these questions and so many more. But without it, everything falls apart. That's why Easter changes everything. It changes everything. All right, now, let me just keep going here. And let me just share this with you very quickly. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you have not. Have any of you guys ever heard of the name Pascal, Blaise Pascal? Any of y'all? Okay. Have you, any of y'all heard of Pascal's Wager? All right, nobody. All right, that's cool. Very good. Glad to be able to enlighten at least a little bit today. Here's what Pascal said. He was a mathematician and a theologian back in the day, 1623 to 1662. And here's what he said. By the way, do any of y'all ever want these hairstyles to come back? I'm just not sure this is ever going to work for me. And I don't know why there were so many people with broken noses back then, but that's another story for another day. Here's what I know about Pascal. He said, here's your wager. Here's your wager. If you're a person who doesn't believe in God and you are right, but you have a person like me who lives his life as if there is a God, what have I lost? Maybe a little bit of you know, craziness, maybe a little bit of fun, maybe a little bit of pleasure that I missed out on. Maybe that's all that I've missed if I wager with my eternal soul that there is a God and I'm wrong. There isn't. I've missed a little bit of fun, a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of craziness, a little bit of living life the way that I would have lived it. But that's about all. But here's what Pascal said. But if you live your life as if there is no God, and you wager your eternal soul on it, and you are wrong, what do you lose? You have an eternity separated from God. You have an eternity's worth of sins that you cannot undo. He's saying, 
think about it and just decide, is there not enough around you to remind you that there is some sort of higher being in this universe and he is concerned about his children? He has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and he has made a way for you and I to be forgiven and to be made whole. If you've never done it, it's just this simple. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make my life your kingdom and your home. Not my will but thine be done in every part of my life. From this day forward, I make you the king and you are on the throne in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's just that simple. You can have a new eternal destiny and you can be forgiven of all that's in your past. If you can, why wouldn't you? <laughs> why wouldn't you? And just very quickly, let's keep going and let's move on here. I've got a few things that I want to share about this story and I'm going to do so quickly so you guys hold on. All right, here's the big idea. I'm going to say it a couple times and ask you guys to say it loud with me. Jesus' ultimate victory provides eternal and daily hope for all who believe. This is really important. I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians, as a matter of fact, are people who say, yeah, my hope is in God. And one day, in that eternal day, I will be forgiven and I can't wait. That one day, I've got hope. No, 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 no. This is the truth that I'm trying to convey to you. The eternal hope is every single day of your life. And here's why I think this is so important. I think sometimes we as Christians, we look forward to that day, but we forget that there is victory available to us in the here and now because of the resurrection power of Christ. Now, I want to be very clear about something. There are a lot of people who say, one day I'll be before God and I'll be forgiven and it's all good. You know what? You might live your life as if God does not exist all the way until that one day. Here is the question, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you experience the victory, the joy, the purpose, the power, the passion, the fun, the enjoyment of all that God has for you? The happiest people that I know are Christians who sold themselves out to God a long time ago. The most people that are most unhappy in my mind, most of the time, are people who Believe in God, but don't actually live like every day matters. Here's the truth. Every day, you have the power. And if you are struggling, if you are having a difficult time, don't forget that every single day, you have hope if you believe in God. Now, let's say this together. Would you guys say with me? Jesus' ultimate victory provides eternal and daily hope for all who believe. Now, y'all didn't do a very good job of saying that out loud with me. So, we can be here for a long time, or y'all can share it with me now. Jesus' ultimate victory provides eternal and daily hope for all who believe. Thank you. I'm just excited to see some faces here. So, like I was anxious, and then the, it just didn't really live up to what I was hoping for. And then y'all came through. Isn't it funny 
If you listen to that passage of scripture from Luke chapter 24, you can hear the lost hope. You can hear it. If you really listened, <laughs> the Bible tells us like they were standing still and you can almost like see them going, oh, we thought that this was going to be different. You know? Go to this passage of scripture. If you go to this next slide here, you see in Luke 24, beginning in verse 17, Jesus, hidden from their eyes, asks the question, Hey, what are y'all talking about? I'm going to tell it to you in the New Texas version. What y'all talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, Are you the only one who's been under a rock somewhere that doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem all these days? That's the New Texas version. And then the chief priests and the rulers handed this guy named Jesus over to be sentenced to death. We hoped he was going to be the one who answered all the questions for us. Do you understand what's going on here? <laughs> it didn't turn out like we thought it was going to turn out. Now, <clears throat> have any of y'all met 2020, by the way? Didn't turn out quite the way that you expected. Am I right? And then 2021 got started and he said, I never thought I'd miss 2020. Here's the truth. I wish I could tell you that just because you're a follower of Christ, named or unnamed, big name, small name, known or unknown. I wish I could tell you that it just doesn't matter and that every time you follow Christ, everything's going to be easy, but I can't tell you that because it just ain't true. So here's the question for all of us. How do we respond? Now, I love the Bible because it does not pretend that its saints are always saintly. Sometimes these people act an awful lot like me. Man, this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. You know, this is not what I expected. And I won't tell you, but I know some pastors actually get frustrated with God when he does things that they don't expect. Now, fortunately for you, you don't have to deal with a worldly pastor in that way. You have an amazing pastor who never has ever been disappointed with God. Yeah, right. We've all been there. And I want us to be honest about it. And I want us to realize in this story, it's not like Jesus walks up and goes, oh, I found two discouraged believers. Who knew? He came to them because they needed him in that moment. They came out of Jerusalem expecting something different. And here's what is really sad. You go even further and they can't even see. They can't even grasp that it might be different. They can't even grasp that God might be at work. They just know it wasn't what they expected so it can't be good. Huh. Yeah, not hard to point it towards what we're dealing with, is it? Look at this article. This is from Business Insider. It says that we're in the middle of a mental health crisis. The consequences of this pandemic are going to be with us for years to come. 
This is written January, I think, 30th, 2021. Yeah, we need him to show up and deal with people who believe but are disappointed. Believe but are discouraged. Believe but don't know how it all is going to work out and when it's all going to change. And thank God. He is a God who doesn't keep his distance when we are at our lowest point. Can I get an amen on that? I'm, I'm so glad that he shows up when we need him the most. And folks, we need him. We need each other as well. I, I, just look at this next slide. I, I mean, this is the real deal. I mean, literally, they're talking about how social media is dealing with our mental health and throwing us off. And, and, and like how desperate we are to have connection and have interaction and engagement. And yet at the same time, it's hard for us to grasp exactly what that looks like. Now, I want you to know I'm often critical of social media, but I, I know personally, I'm glad to know some of the things that I learn on social media. For example, this, check this one out. My dad dated Beyonce in high school and just pulled out these pictures when he heard us talking about her Coachella performance. What is happening? Can you believe there was somebody who actually posted on Facebook? He dated Beyonce way back in the day. See, social media sometimes just makes you go, I can't believe this happened. What is happening? I have a question for you. Ladies, I'm just curious. If you have pictures of you dating Beyonce when you were in high school, do you have to put them away or can you put them up and leave them up? I'm just curious. Is, am I the only one? All right, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe I've crossed the line. My wife's not here. She can't reach me. She can't hit me. Here's the truth. Crazy stuff is happening out in this world. Here's the truth. God knows what's happening. He loves. He cares. He engages. He brings us in. All right, let's go to this next slide. All right, the next slide. Don't miss this. As these two disciples are walking with Jesus, their eyes are working well enough to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they're not seeing clearly enough to see the most important thing that's going on in the walk. Who is walking with them? You guys understand what I'm saying? The most important thing is what they're missing. Now, I wear these. Have y'all noticed I've been wearing these a lot more than I used to? It's because I can't see this very well unless I wear these. But if I put these on, I can't see your faces very well. And so I'm constantly trying to do this number. Here's what I've found. Sometimes we just need our vision adjusted. We need to be reminded that even when we're down, even when we're discouraged, Jesus is still in our lives. How many of you guys remember the song Waymaker? Y'all remember that? You know my favorite part of that song? Even when I don't see it, what's the next line? You're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. God is working in your life even today. If you're down, if you're discouraged, if you're wondering what God is up to, he is still working in your life. He is still bringing about his purposes. Very quickly, I want to just share, I want to share this. 
Let's go to the even good news. Luke chapter 24. You go back to that passage of scripture. And what is more, the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of our women amazed us. This is those two disciples talking. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find Jesus' body. Now, stop for a second. How many of you know it's a good thing that they didn't find Jesus' body, right? Amen? It's a good thing. Do they think it's a good thing? Read that passage. Are they acting like that's a good thing? No. They are confronted with good news and they feel like it is bad news. How many of you have ever had that happen to you where things were so backwards for you that the things that you thought were bad eventually turned out to be good? Happens all the time, but in the midst and in the moment, you have to have faith that God is working. And he goes on, some of our companions went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. And who is it that they're talking to and telling this story to? They're telling it to the Jesus that they don't recognize because their eyes haven't gone through the adjustment. But then they end up in the place that they're traveling. As they travel and as they come to the end of their walk, probably about a two and a half hour walk, seven miles, seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus, they come together, they gather around a table and Jesus takes bread. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Jesus takes bread, he begins to break it, he gives thanks and he passes it out. And as he does that, what happens their eyes get the perfect adjustment and they realize it's Jesus and it's been Jesus all along. Here's what I know. In our life, it is so important and valuable for us to know that it's Jesus and it's still Jesus and it's always been Jesus. And when he comes to us, even when we are down, discouraged, hurting, not sure where we can turn. We know that it is always Jesus and he is doing great and mighty things. Now, what a difference it means for us. What a huge difference it means for us. Let's go to that slide. Number 30, if you don't mind. What a difference it means. We see these men walking under heavy discouragement. But then when they realize Jesus is with them, it's a heartfelt drive. They have a lack of vision, and then suddenly they have the Lord's vision. They have God's grand master plan that overcomes their tiny little plans. Everything changes. What a difference it makes when Jesus shows up and you're aware of his presence. Now, let me ask you guys this question. When you've been going through all that you've been going through, when your times have been difficult, is Jesus still there? Yes or no? So let me ask you another question. Have you always lived like he was right there? Or have there been lots of times in your life where you lived as if somebody's walking with me, but I just don't know who it is? The truth of the matter is, is that for most of us, if we would engage, if we would become aware of what God is doing and realize the one who's walking next to me 
is the very one that I worship. The one who's walking next to me overcame death. That one that's walking next to me has holes in his hands and his feet because he conquered death for me. If I can grasp that and live in that way, everything begins to change. And it's not someday, it is today. (laughs) It is now. It is not some great somewhere. It is right here, right now. Christians, why in the world would we serve a God who can do all things and then act the way that we act when it comes to the smallest little problems in our life? Doesn't even make sense, but we do it all the time. For most of us, we don't live in victory the way that he wants us. So here's what I would share with you. You look at this story, and as these men, they leave. They leave. They, they, they came to Emmaus. They received the bread. They, they engaged, and they realized, boom, their eyes are open. It's like they put the glasses on, and suddenly they see it exactly as it is. And what do they do? They start talking to one another. And they turn, and they say, can you believe how our hearts were burning? Here's what it says. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. Then he disappears. And they turn to each other and they ask, were not our hearts burning within us when we talked on the road? And when he opened the scriptures, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. In other words, they were at the end of the day, but now they had plenty of energy. <laughs> they had walked for probably about two and a half, three hours one way getting towards dark, but they were so excited, so passionate, they jumped up and they were like, let's go, because we've got to tell people about what God has done. Here's the deal. Here's something that you see. The power and the purpose that we saw there, it brings us to this takeaway very quickly. Here's this takeaway that we want to share. Tapping into the presence of Jesus that is already there, that is already ours, gives us passion, gives us power, gives us purpose. It gives us all of these things, and it's not someday. It is, y'all know what I'm about to say? Today. Today. I got one amen. Can I get maybe a few more amens? Today. Today. Now, how many of y'all need it just later, or how many of you need it today? I need it today. I need it today. I need God to show up in my discouragement, in my down, in the times where I am downcast and I'm, it didn't turn out like I wanted it to. This is not what I expected. This is going on longer. This is harder. This is more of a difficulty. And God shows up and says, you know what? It's not all going to be fixed today, but I want you to know that I am at work, not later, but today. It's an interesting thing. I, I want to just share with you very quickly a quote, and I, and I want us to take this and how do we apply this message. There's a quote from Stephen Furtick. He's a pastor. He's really a great and phenomenal speaker. He shared something that I thought was fantastic, and this is why it's so important for me to talk with you guys about this, because for most of us, we want to say, this is great. 
This is wonderful. I, I do want to live my life as if Jesus is always with me. I want him to be involved in my todays, not just in my great some days. But here is the problem for most of us. We want that, but we don't plan for that. We don't make commitments to follow through with that. We think that the emotion will carry us through, but it just does not. Stephen Furtick has a quote, and I believe it's on slide number 28. If you would just turn to slide number 28 very quickly. Um, there it is. A resolution without a routine is like a Ferrari without gas. It looks real good, but it's probably going to get you nowhere. So for most of us, we need to make the decision today that we will put things in place and we will put a routine in place that brings us to where it's not just a resolution, but it is a routine. It is the consistency that puts us in touch with God. And we talk about this in this way. Here's how we can apply this message. Here's how I apply this message. You commit your spiritual disciplines for both your mind and your heart. That's worship time. Get serious about making worship time a real thing. Be a person who reads their scriptures. Be involved in the Zoom Bible study. Serve other people. Get involved in tithing. Giving of yourself, consistent worship attendance, other things. And I'm not here to just put each and everything on you. I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you, but here's what I would share. If you do these things, make them for both your heart and your mind, you have an opportunity for that meaningful moment. Each and every time you feel weak, down, discouraged, you can turn and say, I know he's with me. You know how I know? He's always with me. My eyes have been opened enough to know that even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't grasp all that he's doing, he's working. He is accomplishing his purpose. And his power overwhelms all. His power brings about <laughs> true victory. And Easter changes everything. In just one moment, we're going to share a song called Graves into Gardens. It is a fantastic song. It is a reminder of the fact that God is able to do all things and that when he came up against the one enemy that we all fear more than any other, death, he won, shattered it, nailed it, nailed it to the cross and nailed our victory forever because of that and because he lives we too will reign in victory if we know him amen, amen. heavenly father thank you so much for the victory that you provide the way that you have changed our life we do not wait for victory but we embrace the victory that you have given not because we are powerful but because we are relying upon the all-powerful God. And that as we turn to you more and more and more regularly, that you would continue to lead us. May our eyes be open to all that you are and all that you are doing. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth each and every day. May we love you above all things and may we worship and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.